Thank you so much. That is a song I hope we sing a lot <laughs> because it expresses just exactly where we are individually and corporately as believers. Pray with me, will you? Heavenly Father, you are our vision um, when we are blind, when we're caught in the bondage of culture, the bondage of our own bad choices, the bondage of of bad habits and incorrect thinking. You are our freedom. And no matter how far we go away, you are like the prodigal son's father, always looking at the horizon, waiting for us to return. Thank you that you are that kind of a God who seeks us out and is not satisfied until you find us. Thank you. We ask tonight that we would look um, for a few minutes at what it means to be your individual believers with all the gifts that you bless us with and as your corporate believing church with the purpose of growing and sharing what you have done to change our lives in Jesus. We pray all these things in your name. Amen. Well, it's my privilege tonight to introduce the verse for, that's been chosen for the year. It is 1 Corinthians 12, 27. That says, you are the body of Christ and each one of you is a part of it. As we're thinking about going forward, as we're thinking about what it means to be in this place as a believer and a member of Shepherd of the Desert, in two different campuses and different age groups and different needs, this is the bottom line, that we have been called to become part of the body of Christ. He's the head, we are the torso, the body. And each one of us has a part in that body. It may be a very visible part, it may be sort of what would be called a less visible part, not invisible, but it functions differently as every part of our physical bodies is not being shown every moment of every day. We see other parts of the body that are reflecting what's going on behind the scene. So as we come today, we want to get an idea from this passage as we look at the church in Corinth. The church in Corinth was one that Paul started on his second missionary journey. Um, It was a very cosmopolitan city. It was a trade city. It was in the Aegean across from um, Ephesus. And it was in his third missionary journey that he wrote this letter to uh, the Corinthian Christians there, 1st and 2nd Corinthians, about 55 A.D. And he did because he realized, he had heard that there were things that were not going well in the church. There were a lot of divisions and disorder in the church. Now, this church, I'll start with the positive things, was very connected with its community. It was very involved. It was very, it was a mixture of 
some wealthy people, but basically people who were ordinary uh, believers. They were mostly Gentiles, although there were some very important Jews who had become Christians, because that's always what Paul did. He always went to the synagogue in a city, and he tried to bring the message of fulfillment in a Messiah that had been promised ages ago because the Jews were already prepared for that. They had been living with the prophecies. And some of them heard it, some of them became believers, but the majority of them rejected it. And in some cases, they wanted to completely remove Paul and silence all the Christians. The Romans allowed the Jews to practice their faith. They were protected under Roman law. But if someone who was not associated with the real Jewish church, as the Jews were saying Christians were not, they would no longer be under the provision and protection of of Rome, and so they would be pushed out of the city. So the very fact that you made a choice for Jesus Christ could eventually affect your whole life. Well, many of those Christians who were there had... uh, um, were coming from very secular Gentile backgrounds. And there was a lot of um, idol worship in Corinth. There was a lot of um, sexual immorality. There was a lot of prostitution. Much of that had to do culturally with religion. And there were practices that were not um, in line with what it meant then to live for Christ and live as sort of counter-culturally. And so they often were connected with people but had difficulty putting that away out of their life. And it entered the church. They brought it into the church. And there were things that were very drastically wrong with practicing believers. Now, it wasn't a very large congregation, so everybody knew what was happening. And Paul had to write a letter and say, now let's get this straight. What's the bottom line here? The bottom line is basically this verse um, that we just read. Read that with me. 1 Corinthians 12, 27. Now you are the body of Christ, and each one of you is a part of it. G.K. Chesterton was a um, 20th century writer who was an English literary and social critic. He was an historian, a playwright, He was very prolific. He was a novelist, a Christian theologian, and he was a debater and what we call an apologist. That word sometimes in our language has changed. So when we talk about um, Christian apology, when we look at our, we sang a mighty fortress, we look at the Reformation, and they have the Oxford apology. That's not the apology that says, oh, I'm sorry for believing what I've believed and what I see from the scripture and take me back Roman Catholic Church. No, it means they have now come to an understanding of truth that they are now presenting to the world. And yes, they'll be open to discuss it, but they are going to list all the reasons why they are believing what they're believing. That's what apology means. And this um, G.K. Chesterton was definitely that. He was also a mystery writer um, and an artist. And he said this, we do not want, as the newspapers say, a church that will move with the world. We want a church that will move the world. Now, the difference there is that we were meant to be in a place, salt, light, seasoning, to change culture, not have culture continue to influence us and make us something other than what God has 
plan for us. In, first, in the amplified version of the First Corinthians, um, we see that this church is to be a church that is understanding um, who we are together, but also individually. Um, there's a song years ago that um, I went to a conference in, in um, Texas, and they had a, a team as a pastor and a choir director, Avery and Marsh, and they wrote all this new songs. Now, we've got lots of new music. I mean, all of this stuff. But years ago in the, in, uh, in the 70s, um, there, that was just beginning. I met many of those people who were writing those songs. When I was in the military, we had them come, and we talked with these men and women who were writing music. Now those have become historical songs. Those are now included in hymnals as if they were written um, many, many years ago, and I suppose I'm that old. Um, now it is. Um, but we, we, yeah, uh, we see that all of this music started with um, out of California and singing um, what would have been rock music. My very best friend came, went to a church where he heard rock music in a worship service and walked down the aisle and became a Christian because it, all of a sudden it was a way in which people connected with what was going on in culture, but a way to pull them into a relationship with the Lord. It wasn't just to entertain in the church. It wasn't just to be current. It was a way to make people feel comfortable so they would hear the gospel invitation. But Avery and Marsh wrote a number of songs for the church, and I sat with um, hundreds and hundreds of other um, Lutheran Christians and pastors who were there to talk about evangelism. And how do we reach the church? And Texas at that point was a very open um, um, community and very, uh, very much a growing community in terms of reaching out with the gospel. And this, church, this uh, song says, the church is not a building. The church is not a steeple. The church is not a resting place. The church is a people. I am the church. You are the church. We are the church together. All who follow Jesus all around the world, yes, we're the church together. We're many kinds of people with many kinds of faces, all colors and all ages too, from all times and places. Sometimes the church is marching. Sometimes it's bravely burning. Sometimes it's riding. Sometimes it's hiding. Sometimes it's learning. I am the church. You are the church. We are the church together. All who follow Jesus all around the world, yes, we're the church together. And that was very important for us to think about in terms of denominationalism and separation and walls that were breaking down, how we wanted to reach culture with the gospel. Well, here we have Corinth, who was very connected with their culture, but they were being influenced more by it than they were influencing the culture. So first of all, let's look at Christ's body. Christ's body, a collective identity. In 1 Corinthians 12, 18 to 20, it says, But in fact, God has placed the parts in the body, every one of them just as he wanted them to be. If they were all one part, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, but one body. It is no mistake that God calls every individual person into faith by name. People say, I don't have anything to offer. Oh, I show up, I put my money in 
the offering plate. But beyond that, I really don't have the skills or I don't really want to use them in that way. Maybe I'm too busy, or so I think. Maybe I'm, I've done that before. Maybe I don't think of myself competently enough, or maybe I just think other people need to take their turn. Whatever reason, it is no accident that God calls us as uniquely as he does individually, but we are uniquely gifted by God and resourced in the same way. That's why we cannot function with just 10% of the church working. It just won't happen. 10% of the church who is involved with ministry and serving and doing things, you know what happens to 10%? Pardon? They get burned out. You're absolutely right. From the pastor on down. Because you see, everybody wants a program. Everybody wants order. Everybody wants perfection. Everybody wants everything when they come to church. They want to have it done for them. They want to have everything taken care of. So they come, worship, and then they go out the door and just carry on as if nothing really happened. Now, that's not necessarily true. That's limited because people are serving in various capacities. But very often, we hear more no's than we have yes. You know what God says to us every day? Yes! Yes, 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 yes. And how many times have we heard people saying, no, no, no? God says yes to us every day. If he didn't, we wouldn't be here. If he didn't say yes to us, we wouldn't be able to stand. We wouldn't be able to walk. We wouldn't be able to think. We wouldn't be able to see. We wouldn't be able to speak. We wouldn't be able to do the things that we do. We wouldn't be able to enjoy the things that we enjoy. God says yes to us every day, every breath that we take. Everybody take a big breath, deep breath. Deep cleansing breath. We do this with health things. The ancients said with every breath, they would say, thank you, God. Praise you, God. Thank you, God. Use me, God. That's what every breath of life is. When you have been around people who have been sick and who are struggling for a breath, We just had one of our members die. He has cancer. And one thing that he was dying was lung cancer. Now it had gone into his bones and everything, but he he was having trouble breathing, getting from a bed to a wheelchair that was right by his bed. Every breath was labored. When Jesus hung on the cross, when he shared those last seven words, every breath was an effort. He had to push himself up because as he hung on that cross, his lungs were filling up with fluid. So those words are so life-giving because of what it took to speak them because he wanted us to have hope. That's why when we, we come, it is the yes that God invites us and then we are invited to consider what that yes means to us. How does, it transform, how does it translate into our thinking, our lives, our heart, our spirit, our growth? The church in Corinth was having problems, and Paul wanted the, the right purpose of writing those letters was to uh, identify the problems, was to offer solutions, and to teach believers how to live for Christ in a corrupt society. That's still the challenge today, isn't it? 
we still have to identify those things that need help. We still want them identified. We don't want people negatively speaking to us and always feeling like God is condemning. That's what, that's what many people outside the church, oh, God's always ready to send a lightning bolt and destroy me, right? Even Christians believe that. Ooh, say that word. Do that, have that thought. God's going to get you. We know something different. We know God in the person of Jesus Christ. And he's a God of love and mercy and forgiveness. But he's also a God that wants to help us identify those kinds of things to bring us solutions in our life. And also to lead us into a deeper walk with him. Because we live in a corrupt society. Anybody believe that we don't? Anybody listen to the news today? It only takes you a few minutes to realize that we haven't told the military to go home because there's no problem in the world that they must be on guard for. We haven't told the police that they're, they're done with. We don't have to pay them anymore because everybody's going to obey the law, right? We don't have to say that we are a country of laws because we don't need them anymore because everybody is going to obey and do what's right and good. Yes? No. We know that's not true. That's why Paul said, I appeal to you, brothers, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree with one another so that there may be no divisions among you and you may be united perfectly perfectly in mind and thought. God intends for something different to happen inside the church. If it doesn't happen here, it's not going to happen out there. If we're not experiencing it here, then we're not going to be focused on believing that God can help us see it happen out there. So we are Christ's body his collective identity together. And we, when we understand that, um, Johnny Erickson Tata said, believers are never told to become one. We already are one and are expected to act like it. Any of you know Jerry, uh, Johnny Erickson Tata in 1967? She um, was a, a tremendous athlete, um, a wonderful artist, and was headed for college, and she dove off a, into her um, grandparents' pond where she had swum for years. And as she went to the bottom, she broke her neck and became a quadriplegic. And she wanted to die. She was in the hospital and she was hoping that she would die because she didn't see any hope for her life. She was 18 and everything was changed. She had no ability to scratch her nose. She could do anything for herself. She was in a, in a frame, and she had to be turned, and people would come and visit her and lay on the floor and talk with her. And she was in great depression because it seemed as if God was not this loving, perfect, purposing God. But you know what, God? The song today is perfectly fitting because he became more for her than he, she ever thought she had the need for. 
We sometimes think, why am I going through this stuff? Why am I being asked to respond when I'm barely able to provide for myself? Why am I being asked to do things beyond? I just want to take care of myself. And yet God has something bigger and better because we'll never understand who he is unless we let go of some things. God had a different plan for her. And she ultimately came out of that depression by faithful people loving her, praying for her, and the word of God wrapping itself around as a comfort on her heart and soul and giving her new hope. You know, people cannot live without hope, not very long. But God is the God of hope. That's what is all through the Bible. It's replete. It says, God, the God of hope. Beyond our circumstances, beyond what we can see and feel and touch and smell and and coordinate and and control, God is a God of hope because all of time is open up. And he's the miraculous God who calls something out of nothing and makes it happen even when we can't imagine. That's why Ephesians chapter 3 verse 20 says, Far beyond our wildest imaginings, highest hopes and dreams and prayers, God is working. Do you believe that, people today? Do you believe that? Because God wants you to believe it with an insistence because it's a transforming principle for you and me daily as his believers, but corporately as his people because the world is waiting for that kind of hope because every day people deal with the same things you and I deal with. But we have been given permission to respond differently. And in time she learned to paint with her mouth. And she even sang and recorded. She's been in movies. She's spoken before thousands and thousands of people. She's spoken on behalf of people who are limited and in wheelchairs. Don't misunderstand. Everything is still very hard for her. I remember one time reading about the simple movement of a book, and she got the book to the end of the table, and it fell on the floor. Now what? What would you do? I'll just reach down and pick it up. But she couldn't do that. God cares about the details in our lives, though. And she has saved so many from utter destruction and despair. And God didn't heal her. She went through a period where she prayed, but God didn't heal her. You know what? In heaven, she knows with certainty that not only will she stand, her legs will be strong and she'll be able to walk. She'll be given a new body. But you know what else? She'll be able not only to walk, but she'll be able to dance and praise the Lord with her whole being because of what he's done in her, in her spirit. I want you to look at um, what it means to be in the body. You know, sometimes the body fights itself. Sometimes the body of believers fight themselves. And that's just the opposite of what God intends. I want you to watch a little video. It's a 1967 Alka-Seltzer video. You may have seen this. I'm going to date myself. But you may have seen this. I, I would always laugh at this. And it's a, it's the conversation between a man's stomach and himself. Think of me one. We want to control yourself. 
When you say one thing, your stomach says another. We don't get along. Heaven knows I've tried. Sure, he's tried. He gave up hot tamales. Now he's on a new kick, pepperoni pizzas. And I was just getting used to hot tamales. I like pepperoni pizzas. Do you like heartburn? Well, you're going to get it every time you eat a pepperoni pizza. And that's a problem. And the way he's... You've always hated my mother. Are you going to start that business over again? It's going to get us anywhere. Obviously, you've never tried Alka-Seltzer. Now, you, you can't expect him to give up the food he loves. Man does not live by bread alone. Oh, please. And you, when you eat <laughs> spicy foods, when you overeat, help your stomach out. Alka-Seltzer has alkalizers which will calm your upset stomach and neutralize excess acidity. It even has a pain reliever for your head. Uh, listen, that's not I, my department. You take care of him, he won't bother you. Well, I'll try... If you will. Anybody remember that commercial? It, it's a great commercial because it, it, it certainly talks about the physical body sometimes working against itself. But it, it illustrates sometimes how we are um, a knee-jerk reaction against God, asking us, inviting us, and us interacting with one another. Sometimes the church fights itself when it's... The stomach is part of the body, and we are part of one another. And it says that not only are we to suffer together, but we're also to rejoice together. That's the invitation. And we have these gifts and these abilities, and we're being invited to participate in whatever way possible. We don't think maybe it's important, but it all contributes to the whole. In Ephesians 4, 11 through 13, it says, So Christ gave him, himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and the teachers to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. We've been invited to, into a point of discovery. You are linked to someone else's maturity in Christ, and they're linked to yours. That's the invitation in Christ, that we become completely mature in the knowledge of the Son of God, in the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Charles Spurgeon, a great uh, preacher, said this, I do not think the devil cares how many churches you build if only you have lukewarm preachers and people in them. That's exactly right. A church that's not committed to the Lord will seem dull and lifeless. And you know, if somebody comes in the door, what will they see? What will they see in this, in this fellowship? What will they see in this service? What will they see in this church? What will they see in other churches? So the devil doesn't care how many churches you have if they're not on fire for Jesus. And the invitation is to be exactly who God wants us to be and to become the people who God wants us to become. I don't care what age it has. I don't care how long people have spent their time in church. I have spent my time in church ever since I was a baby. My father was the preacher. My mother was the, the organist. And my four brothers and I sat on this front row. And you better believe we obeyed. We didn't do anything because we knew that my father would come down from that pulpit or my mother would get off of that organ bench and we would have a talking to in the service and then after the service as well. So we paid attention. But I want to tell you that we were in that, in that setting. Now we had still the invitation to become more of what God wanted us to become and we had the invitation, we have the invitation as God's people to continue becoming, 
Just because we've spent a lot of time in church doesn't mean we've arrived. There's still more of Jesus. And how we do it? We do it with John 13, 34. A new command I give you. Love one another as I have loved you. So you must love one another. Love is what binds us together. Love what is what heals us. Love is what moves us. Love is what brings us into a commitment. It is the love of Jesus Christ moving through us that is visible. You know what the early church was? Their accusation from the community around them. You know what people said? Oh, they're lousy, miserable people. No, the one thing they said is see how they love. It was demonstrative. It was palpable. The love and caring that they shared. Do you think there's someone in this congregation who needs your present presence? Do you think that there's someone who needs a visit? Is there someone you need to pray for? Is there someone you need to work with? Is there some job that you can volunteer for? Is there some invitation that you can be a part of and use the gifts and the resources that you have? And in the hope in coming months, hopefully, if you don't know your spiritual gifts, from the Bible. If you don't know what your spiritual gifts are, we hope to help you discover them so that you can exercise those spiritual gifts because right now, if you don't exercise your spiritual gifts, there is a vacancy there and someone is going away without their need met. Maybe you're that person. So we're invited to come together in the Lord Jesus to love one another and discover what it means to be the church. And when the people gather, there's singing and there's praying, there's laughing and there's crying sometimes, all of it saying, I am the church, you are the church, we are the church together. All who follow Jesus, all around the world, we are the church together. At Pentecost, some people received the Holy Spirit and told the good news through the world to all who would hear it, I am the church. I am the church. You are the church. We are the church together. All who follow Jesus all around the world, yes, we're the church together. Pray with me. Heavenly Father, we ask that we would be your people, discovering what it means to be individuals, gifted, forgiven, and alive in you, together, serving one another, helping one another grow, and then reaching out together, so that others can know you, Lord Jesus. Create a fire within us. Create a fire within us, Lord. And let us not be satisfied with lukewarmness, but only to realize what it means to be yours wherever you place us with whatever gifts and to be given the opportunity to live for you, to love in your name and to bring the good news of forgiveness to those around us. We pray all of this in your name, Jesus. Amen.